This week's podcast is all about reflux disease. And just as a reminder, this podcast is not medical advice or a substitute for a physician's appointment. So if you're having reflux disease, as I say at the end of the podcast today, talk to your doctor. If you have questions about your diet and reflux disease, of course, we're happy to talk about those. But this is not a substitute for medical advice or a medical opinion. So very important that you communicate with your physician if you are struggling with reflux. Welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland. And I'm Amy Keller. So in our previous podcast, we debunked the effect of spicy foods on metabolism. And while it does increase your metabolism, the increase, unfortunately, is insignificant. <laughs> we figured out- 10 was, whole calories right? for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> Two calories for five hours has about 10 calories. And yeah, and if you think about it, most of the time you're having that spicy food on your wings or your like- big burrito or something, it's like a thousand calorie meal and you're burning an extra 10, 10 calories, right? So right. putting that in perspective. Now tonight we're gonna switch gears and we're gonna start discussing digestion and the effects of spicy food on our digestion and the setting, settling the remaining spicy food myths that are out there. And so a spicy meal isn't necessarily bad for digestion, but it can pose problems and trigger symptoms among people who have digestive issues like acid reflux, irritable bowel syndrome, and inflammatory bowel disease. However, we do need to point out sometimes, I think this is true, it's not necessarily the spikes that cause the digestive issues, but maybe the other foods you're eating with that same meal. So it's important to check and make sure you're really reacting to the spice and maybe not the high fat meal that's there. Gut health is very tricky and unique, and I feel like we're on a, as dietitians, are on a huge learning curve when it comes to our gut bi- microbiome. What we do know is certain people react to certain foods, meaning they have more symptoms related to acid reflux or irritable bowel syndrome. And tonight we're going to focus on that reflux and GERD. So I think let's talk about what reflux is. I think we've all probably had it. You've had it, right? I mean, we've all had it, right? I think I've had it once. I, I, it's been, I know, I don't have it very often. <laughs> well, you are unique. I, I may be. <laughs> right, right. And I live in my own little world. And I'm right. <laughs> and, you know, we probably have all had it at some point in our lives. We've had that feeling after a big, heavy meal. Sometimes if you you know, lie down after a meal, you'll feel some of that Mm -hmm. acid come up into your esophagus. But when it's persistent, that's when we're concerned. Occasional reflux, I don't really worry about. And I'm sure other doctors don't worry about it either, because it's not persistent. And it's not causing damage if it happens every once in a while. So if you're getting reflux after Thanksgiving dinner, yeah, deal. If you're getting reflux, you know, and you go out, you know, once a year and have spicy, the spiciest ones you can find, and you find yourself having reflux, I'm not too worried. But when it's several times a week, that's a problem. Even once a week is too much. According to the National Institutes of Health, 20% of us, so that's one out of five people, have symptoms of reflux one time a week or more. 
Okay. And what I thought was very interesting, this can land people in the hospital, which again, you wouldn't think of, except what we're going to talk about later is that sometimes reflux can be confused with chest pain. Oh, yes, yes, I have. We see this a lot, actually. <laughs> I bet you at do. The hospital <laughs> where people come in and they think they're having a heart attack and turns out it's reflux and mm. it's very painful and very scary and you should still go to the hospital for anything you suspect to be chest pain. Right. But sometimes they'll figure out it's actually a GI issue and not right. and right. not re- and, and not necessarily a cardiovascular issue. Right. Men are more likely to have the condition. Now, I don't know why this is, except maybe there may be something about the gender, but I also wonder if men's eating habits maybe are more conducive hmm. to developing reflux. Heavier meals, larger portions. Larger portions. Eating and not eating for a long time and then having issues. I know men in my life who have that issue. Oh, I went too long without eating and then they eat and they have this issue with the reflux. Yep. 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 And so... But you then know, that might not be a man thing. It could right. be a and woman thing, too. Exactly. Right. But men are more likely to have reflux. Okay. Now, this is very interesting. There is no lab test to diagnose reflux disease. And the American College of Gastroenterology has a guideline for diagnosis. Okay. And basically, it's a history of that heartburn and regurgitation. Now, regurgitation means that gastric content that's supposed to be in your stomach comes up into the esophagus and that's what causes the symptoms of that heartburn because that stuff that's in your stomach is pretty tough right you know acidic caustic and, yeah yes. caustic and mm-hmm. and it's irritating to your esophagus right because it's not so, made like your stomach to tolerate it right right of course it's very like i said very important to rule out other serious conditions when reflux is suspected and this is something that it's not time to play doctor on your own. Right. It's not time to consult Dr. Google and say, oh, it's just reflux. My upset stomach's <laughs> just reflux all the time. Because it might not be. Right. So definitely want to, if you are having reflux disease or reflux symptoms, you want to bring this up to your physician. Because you do want to be properly diagnosed and make sure something else isn't being missed. Absolutely. Because lots of other GI stuff can cause distressing, you know, gastrointestinal symptoms as well. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to make sure you're getting a proper diagnosis. Absolutely. Interesting is I think that, and I see this with people in my life who have reflux, they have a little bit of a cough, Mm. even like a lot of throat clearing. Mm -hmm. My husband has reflux disease. I'll, I'll hang him out to dry here. (laughs) And I can tell when he's having a flare because he'll get in bed at night and I'll hear, "Ah, ah." and I can tell he's having a reflux and then invariably he'll get up and he'll say, yep, I'm having symptoms and he can feel it. Interesting. So you'll hear people sometimes who are chronically coughing and again, coughing after meals can be other things too. So you want to make sure again that you're having those things checked out. Yep. Uh, when you do, and don't just assume that, sure. it's, that it's reflux. So what are the common causes of reflux disease? So do you want to go through those? Sure. So there can be a variety of reasons why you have reflux. And I mean, number one is obesity. We do know people who 
have increased weight tend to have more of an issue. It's also an issue with people who have a weakened sphincter muscles, like that hiatal hernia. So if you have a hiatal hernia, you're more likely to have GERD and heart disease. And then delayed gastric emptying. So if you if it takes your stomach a while to get rid of food that you've consumed, that gives you more likely, you're more likely to develop what we call GERD or reflux. Now, and women actually, so men is more common, but for women, it's more common during pregnancy. And so did you have it when you were pregnant? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. You are in your own little world. <laughs> I, I have a little halo over me with when it comes to GERD, thankfully, thankfully. So I... I'm sure I did at some point have a little reflux, but but I think as a dietitian, I know I know how to kind of prevent it, which we'll get into here in a minute. And so I'm very careful not to lay down right after I eat or, you know, have a meal or a snack and and be horizontal, which we'll talk about in a minute. So so yeah, you can get it when you're pregnant as well and uh um, As that baby gets bigger, it sort of pushes, and anybody who's been pregnant knows what I'm talking about. Exactly. You know, the baby sort of pushing, pushing everything out of the way. Right. Including your stomach. Right. And, and you've got these hormones going on, right, that right. are also right. softening that smooth muscles and, uh, yeah, and then, yeah, the baby's pushing all those organs up and right. pushing that stomach closer to the to the esophagus. Now, we might just think of reflux disease as sort of, well, it's just a pain. And, mm. you know, it's just something people have to live with. And there can be very serious consequences to reflux disease. The most serious is Barrett's esophagus. Yes. And that is a very seriously complication in the fact that it can increase your risk of cancer of the esophagus. So, if you've had reflux disease, again, for a long time, or if your reflux disease is not well controlled, or again, you know, you suspect that you've, you know, that your, your reflux is just not responding to medication in the way it should be, mm-hmm. you want to talk to your doctor and make sure that this is not something that you've developed. And right. basically what Barrett's is, kind of the long and the short of it, is that that kind of that gastric contents that ends up in your esophagus not only does it cause discomfort, it causes real damage to the tissue. Okay. That tissue of the esophagus begins to look a lot like the tissue of your small bowel, and it's not supposed to. So this is one of those things that, again, can raise your risk of esophageal cancer if you've developed Barrett's esophagus. So this is something you want to make sure that, again, if you have Barrett's, that you're following up regularly with your physician to make sure that things are the way they should be. Um, So that is really the most serious kind of complication beyond just the discomfort and the lack of sleep. Sometimes I know, like I said, when my husband has this, he's not going to get good sleep that night. Yeah. And that affects things too. So think about what that reflux may be doing to you in terms of your symptoms. Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's talk about how to manage that then. What do you, yeah. So when we talk about We'll talk about the kind of the diet things because, of course, we are dietitians. Right. <laughs> but medications are incredibly important when you have reflux disease. So there are three different kinds of medications for reflux disease that I see commonly used. But just like anything else, meds work best when they are 
combined with lifestyle modification. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't take medication. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't do lifestyle modification. Ideally, you're going to want to do a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, If you can control your symptoms without medication, awesome. But that's why the medications are there to help if you're not able to control your symptoms. And again, there are risks and benefits to any medication, but you want to make sure that if you need to be taking reflux medication that you're doing it. Yep. So the first kind is that kind of old school antacid. So Mm -hmm. thick tums, thick Rolades. That's what I remember. The the woman who took care of us when we were kids or who sat for us, she always had a thing of (laughs) Rolades. And now if I think about it, she probably had reflux disease. (laughs) Well, I don't know. So yeah, my son has, my, one of my sons had a lot of issues every once in a while with reflux. And it was usually associated with like trick or treat night. We had some reflux one year and, or just really high fat foods that he's not used to doing. And so uh, uh, antacid, we do Tums, works Mm -hmm. really well. And antacids are just that for the occasional bout of heartburn. Right. After trick or treat or after Thanksgiving dinner. Exactly. That's okay. It's not meant for the long term management of reflux disease. So right. if you're popping tums to manage your reflux disease, probably need to talk to your doctor about what other options might be available. Right. Like you said, more than once a week, you should not be, ha- or more than, you know, you shouldn't be having reflux every single week. Right. Right. Then there are proton pump inhibitors. And I think maybe every patient I have in the hospital seems to be on these. Yeah. They're very popular. So we're thinking about Prilosec, Nexium, Prevacid, Dexalant is another one that's pretty strong one. Typically, these are prescribed kind of this eight-week course before the first meal of the day, taking that kind of early in the morning to facilitate the healing of the esophagus. Now, some people end up having to take these long-term. Okay. This is not necessarily meant to be a hugely long-term medication. In some people, the risks of not taking the medication are worse than the risks from the medication. So there may be a lot of benefits for some people taking them long-term. But this is, if you are kind of hopefully not self-medicating with this. Right. You know, this is not meant to be something you're on the rest of your life without your doctor's knowledge. Right. You're talking to your doctor about how it's going. <laughs> right. If you're honest. And there are side effects, as I mentioned, long-term. And we don't really necessarily know super how common these are, but it can lead to low magnesium levels. It can lead to bone fractures, even increase your risk of C. diff, which is hmm. a diarrheal illness that's typically more associated with antibiotics. Okay. But it can actually raise your risk of that. Like I said, there may be some folks, I will say, I'll hang my husband out to dry on this one, you know, who need to be on it and uh-huh. will need to probably be on it the rest of his life, despite what side effects can come because the risk of the reflux is worse. Gotcha. And the, the side or the... the so you just manage the side effects at that point, right? Right. Yeah. And then there are H2 receptor agonists. And these were very common before proton pump inhibitors were available. And this kind of, like I said, were the drug of choice. These may be used more for symptom management, but again, that proton pump inhibitor might be more effective. So if you think about Pepsid, Tagamet, Zantac, we think mm. there are minimal side effects of those H2 receptor agonists, 
but it's not necessarily going to heal the esophagus the way a proton pump inhibitor would. Okay. okay. So again, those are the medication things, mm-hmm. but let's talk about lifestyle. Right. Yes. So what are some of the things you can do to improve your lifestyle? Right. Well, we said the num- one of the number one causes of this is you know, obesity, increased weight. So weight loss can help um, because it does help with decreasing the pressure that's on your stomach. Losing just a little bit of weight can help. And so typically I say just a 5-10% weight loss can help reduce your symptoms. Is that what you see? Yep. Typically it doesn't have to be losing 100 pounds. Exactly. Exactly. Just a little bit. Exactly. And then in terms of Diet, though, that's the interesting thing, right? There's not really one specific diet that works for GERD. It really depends on you. So keeping a diary and watching your symptoms and trying to see if there's an association between a food, because there's really not a a diet that us dietitians can say, okay, if you follow this, it'll help with your GERD, right? Right. Uh, it's just very individualized. And so it's something that you just need to kind of track your symptoms, track when it's happening, see if you notice any patterns. But we do find that if you're eating like maybe more smaller meals, if you find that larger meals are causing the issue, or like if you go for long periods of time without eating and then you're having a bigger meal, sometimes focusing on eating more frequently during the day, smaller meals can really help with the GERD because it gives your your stomach acid something to work on consistently throughout the day. And then when you do eat, like we talked about earlier briefly, like staying upright, the recommendation is two to three hours after a meal, you want your, your head elevated, ideally sitting or standing, but you don't want to be laying down. If you do have to lay down, you want to keep your head elevated at what, at like a 30 degree angle, I think right. is what I've always told people. Another thing that can help is slowing down at your meals. So this can also help by if you're eating consistently throughout the day so you're not so hungry. Um, So it helps you to slow down at your meals. Uh, You don't want to eat a meal too quickly because it can upset that stomach acid and and, uh, cause an issue. What about you? Any advice that you give to people? I tell people a couple things they can do is taking a walk after you eat. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's just good for everything. Yeah. What, what that does is, again, that's moving mm-hmm. food through your stomach. Right. And it's not giving it a chance to sit there and delay in, in delay right. emptying, basically, from the stomach. Right. It's Walking reasons, moves that digestion, like, along. Right. Yeah. It's, and it's it keeps one of the upright. reasons, if you've, ever, if you've ever had surgery in the hospital, they want you up after mm-hmm. surgery walking. Mm-hmm. It's not just about your mobility. It's about keeping that, your bowels moving, keeping things, your stomach moving. And so activity, believe it or not, is one of those things that can help move food through your system. So yeah. taking a walk, that's good for everything. If you have blood sugar <laughs> issues, it's good. So even just going and taking a 10-minute walk, especially after a, he- a heavy meal, yeah. getting ready for Thanksgiving here in mm-hmm. a few weeks, think yep. about taking a walk after that big Thanksgiving dinner, not taking a nap. Right, exactly. Take that nap later. <laughs> take Maybe a walk just, and then, right. yeah. Take, take, take the nap. Take the nap. Right. right. <laughs> and then ideally eliminate tobacco. And of course, we should do that for other reasons too. Mm-hmm. And reduce or eliminate alcohol. And again, I'll hang my husband out to dry. 
alcohol is a huge trigger for him. And I can tell if he has had a drink too late Mm. that he struggles. We've gone out with friends and we're out fairly late and he comes home and and I I almost can guarantee he's going to have flux that night. Yeah. So be careful with how much alcohol you're drinking. Yeah. Now, I think it's really interesting. We talked about there is no diet for GERD. And I will say the American College of Gastroenterology says there's really no evidence for any particular type of food, diet, even maybe or even like avoiding carbonated beverages necessarily to preventing reflux. However, I've talked to a lot of patients with reflux. And the ones, the foods I hear most often chocolate, mm-hmm. caffeine, uh, greasy and spicy foods, tomatoes, orange juice, kind of those acidic, acidic things, yep. and, al- and alcohol. You yeah. know, I think it's just one of those things that can be very individual. I hate to hear patients say, I'm not going to eat any tomato sauce because I'm ref- I have reflux unless they've had issues. Right. And, right. I say, if you will, I, I'll say, have you ever had issues with tomato sauce right well no that i just thought i wasn't supposed to have it well right. you know if you're if you're able to have it then enjoy that absolutely um, if it definitely bothers you the other thing and you mentioned this at the outset which i thought was great it may not be the tomato sauce it might be the pepperoni and sausage right which is heavy high, high fat, calorie high fat yeah right it may have zero to do with the tomato sauce it right. may have everything to do with the greasy pizza. Yes. That's why I think, too, that's why it could also, I see this a lot with people, is is are you eating balance? When you eat more right. balanced and we think about that, like half your plate is produce, you've got grains, ideally whole grains. Whole grains help with acid. Keep it at bay, I think. Protein at a meal it's going to help control your acid better because of that right. fiber, right? I think. Right. And so I think right. The more you can move again, stop food out of your stomach and not yes. let it sit there. Right. Yeah. And remember, fat is the thing that we digest the slowest. Right. So and this is what you and we've all been there. We understand that we've had a high fat meal and we're full for pretty long. Right. Because that fat is just kind of sitting there and it takes a long time for that to move. And that, again, can bring on symptoms of reflux. So that's why I think if you have like that spaghetti dinner with a tomato sauce, you know, like mm -hmm. have a salad with it, go, you know, maybe, maybe you have to play around with it a little bit, but maybe the tomato sauce is okay in moderation on that plate instead of overfilling the, the tomato or the pasta. Um, Right. Yeah. And you mentioned food journaling. I think food journaling, Mm -hmm. especially if you have any GI issue can be very helpful. If you're comfortable with food journaling, some people aren't, but if you are comfortable with food journaling, sometimes you can learn a lot in just a very short period of time Mm -hmm. uh, from writing things down and kind of keeping track of your symptoms. In terms of dietary supplements, there isn't really good evidence for anything. Maybe, you know, some role for melatonin, probiotics, but again, all very limited in effectiveness in terms of evidence for that. St. John's wort, Lots of B6, arginine supplements, again, actually can worsen symptoms uh, when taken with a PPI, just another check mark against St. John's wort <laughs> as a supplement. Uh, it's, it's, it, it interferes with a lot, yeah. including PPIs, so avoid that if you can, if you're taking medications. Yeah. But then there are those myths about GERD that we hear. 
And I picked out four that I thought were really important because I think that these are the ones that I hear the most. And we've talked a little bit about them already. Mm -hmm. GERD is not just prolonged heartburn. Okay. So, you know, GERD is something that's a chronic condition that needs to be managed. It has lots of other symptoms, chest pain, chronic cough, asthma, nausea, even like a hoarseness to somebody's voice, dental decay. If you think about that acid coming Mm -hmm. up and hitting the teeth, Mm -hmm. that's not ideal. So it's not just heartburn where you can take some antacids and move on. Right. We've already mentioned this, but again, I can't stress this enough. Don't just take over-the-counter medications whenever you want to, and don't worry about if you're not telling your doctor. If you are taking meds several times a week, or if the meds aren't controlling it, it's time to make an appointment with your doctor. Um, You might need to have a scope. That's not a huge procedure, Mm -hmm. but it's something that to make sure that you're not causing damage that you're going to need to keep an eye on in the future. Yeah. The other thing is that meds do not fix GERD. It does not fix it. There are surgical options that um, I see occasionally. You can reduce or eliminate the symptoms, but you still could have acid reflux occurring. And there are some people who have what we call silent reflux. They don't have symptoms, but turns out they're still having damage. So this is one of those things that if you are, you know, you could could still be, you could still actually without symptoms Hmm. be having, have damage from reflux disease. So again, something to be aware of as well. Yeah. And then finally, this is the one I hear most often, drink some milk when you have GERD. Have you heard this one? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know where that started. (laughs) I don't know either, but I know why, right? Why? (laughs) Well, I mean, because milk, if you think about it, like if you've got acid going on, isn't milk more of a base so it helps neutralize the acid? I think it maybe even just kind of like cools. I think that's the thought is that oh. that milk would kind of cool. And it down coats symptoms. your esophagus. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And while you might feel a temporary reduction in your symptoms, mm-hmm. believe it or not, it actually causes more, more. stomach acid to be reduced, <laughs> particularly if it's a high fat milk, which can cause more heartburn symptoms. Right. And then I wanted to kind of kind of talk a little bit differently about tonight about the difference between reflux and ulcers. And this is where I want to get into our spicy food discussion. Okay. Because one thing I hear frequently is that spicy foods cause ulcers. Ulcers, yes. So tell let's let's kind of just talk about what is a stomach ulcer and what what causes it. And it's spoiler alert, it's not spicy food. Right. <laughs> yeah, so ulcers of the stomach are caused most of the time by long-term use of NSAIDs, right? Which are your, one of the causes. Yes. One of the causes. You know, the NSAIDs are they block enzymes that control pain and inflammation. They can actually affect that stomach lining, cause cause some bleeding there, I guess. So, so an NSAID, let's kind of back up. An yeah, NSAID what is an something like an Advil, ibuprofen. And so a lot of people take these. Mm-hmm. And again, just like over-the-counter reflux medication, don't always think about that there can be side effects to taking that kind of pain medication. Right. So 
just as we said with over-the-counter things like Prilosec and, and other over-the-counter meds, if you're taking a lot of Advil and ibuprofen mm-hmm. and not telling anyone right. to manage your pain, right. that's not great. And no. so you want to make sure that your physician is aware that you're having to take this many Advil a day just to like get around or right. manage some sort of pain. pain or, um, yeah. Right, because it's mm-hmm. not necessarily something that's good long-term to take. Yeah. Symptoms of an ulcer are a little bit different than symptoms of reflux disease. Symptoms kind of an ulcer, sort of this dull pain that can come and go for several weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can occur after meals. It can also occur in the middle of the night. Very interestingly, sometimes it's relieved by eating and relieved by taking antacids. Hmm. But as we said, NSAIDs are a common cause of ulcers, but the most common cause Uh is H. pylori, which is a bacteria. Most ulcers are, again, caused by H. pylori. Now, interestingly, it's really common to have H. pylori infection. In fact, after the age of 50 or 60, I think about 40 or 50% of people have H. pylori, but that doesn't mean they're all going to get ulcers. Right. So it's a very common thing to have bacteria-wise, right. but it does you're going to go on to develop an ulcer. Right. What happens is when you have H. pylori infection, it affects that mucus coating that pr- protects our stomach and the top part of our small intestine called the duodenum. Without that coating, that acids that are um, there to break down our foods kind of touch that lining of the stomach and the duodenum and that causes a lot of pain. This is one of the things that can be related to GERD, but it's not necessarily, they're not doing, they're not the same thing. So again, if you're having reflux disease, that's a separate condition from having a stomach ulcer. Now you might want to control acid when you have a stomach ulcer, but you also want to treat the H. pylori. So I see that a lot in the hospital. People will have a scope. They'll be Mm -hmm. diagnosed with a stomach ulcer, and they'll be treated for the H. pylori, which is what is actually causing their ulcer. It's not anything they ate or anything they did. Right. Now, there are red flag symptoms that, and this is just like any speech that I give. This is when we talk about IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, and talk about anything. Mm-hmm. I talk about celiac disease, for goodness sakes. You know, if you're feeling weak or faint, if you're throwing up and it looks like coffee grounds or there's blood in it, mm-hmm. if you have blood in your stool, if you're having sudden sharp, you know, sharp pains in your stomach, don't chalk it up to a stomach ulcer. Don't chalk it up to reflux. Right. That's something you need to have investigated by your doctor. So super, super, super important. Yes. But I think what I hear most often, and maybe this is, again, leads into our discussion finally as we get around to it, <laughs> is spicy foods and stress. Those are the two things. I, I was so stressed out, I caused myself a stomach ulcer. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, oh, I was out in the rain and I got a cold. Well, that's really not how it works. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. But I hear a lot about stress and spicy foods. So tell us a little bit about how spicy foods get this bad reputation, maybe. I think spicy foods, I mean, the way you feel when you eat a spicy food, right? It, it makes you feel very, it kind of burns when it goes down, so, and, and heartburn burns, you know? So I think there's this association that's just natural that people think about, right, with spicy right. foods. 
So yeah, it's that natural feeling of that hot food, that spicy food, feeling like it's burning. But here's the thing, it's not burning a hole in your stomach. Right. It's just not. Right. Now and you're stress. Right. And I mean, I, I know we're talking about all this heartburn and, and the ulcers and everything, uh, but your stomach is pretty it's pretty resilient, right? I mean, it, it's yes. pretty tough and it, it's what does all the digestion. And, and so, uh, I, I think it can usually handle everything you're throwing at it. Right. Right. In, in most people it's true, but if you start experiencing these symptoms, that's when we want you to start paying attention. Maybe right. it's, but again, also you shouldn't necessarily be eating a lot of high fat foods all the time or, you know, so. Right. And I think that's, you know, if you have pre-existing um, ulcer disease, if you have pre-existing reflux, again, you can feel like that spicy food causes symptoms, but it is not causing the condition. Right. And right. those are two, like, again, two different things. Right. You know, that symptoms are one thing, but causing this, I, I struggle with this every time we have patients that come in with Crohn's disease or colitis and the question they always have for me is what did I do what did I eat right to cause this right and I'm like you didn't do anything you didn't eat anything right that caused this and I was trying to get them to take the blame off of themselves right because they feel like oh I ate something and that put me into this big flare yeah and you were probably already in the flare and that is what is this may have aggravated it a little bit or made you feel a little more symptomatic, but right. it didn't cause your flare. Right. And the same is to be said with, with reflux disease. If you're having spicy food, if you're drinking orange juice, if you're eating tomato products, if you're right. already flared up and things are kind of angry already, you can make your symptoms feel worse, but you're not necessarily causing the condition, making the condition worse. Right. You might just be more symptomatic. That is one of the biggest things. And a lot of people, when they find out, oh, I think this is reflux, or they talk to their doctor and they're like, it's just reflux, and they go online and look and they might see all these lists of foods to avoid. And, and some of them are darn lengthy. Oh, they are. I'm telling you and what. And it's scary. You can really, right, you can really restrict your diet with reflux. Exactly. And, and overly so. Right. And as you mentioned earlier, and I just love this idea of balance. So if you're having your fruits and your vegetables and your proteins and your whole grains, not only is that going to kind of crowd out some of those higher fat, greasy foods because mm -hmm. you got a full plate full of good stuff, yeah. that you're also going to eat more fiber, you're going to have more protein, less fat, things are going to sit in your gut less long, mm -hmm. and that, that's good. That's right. a good thing. Right. So it doesn't mean that you can't ever have spicy food again. It doesn't mean that you right. can't ever have you know, some greasy pizza. We all love a good greasy pizza every once in a while. But if you're experiencing reflux several times a week, or like I said, even once a week, right. it's probably too much. Right. And right. it's, you know, you want to make sure that your doctor is aware that you're going mm -hmm. through this. They may just say, hey, take, you know, eight weeks of an over-the-counter and then let's talk again. Right. And that's fine. And but then when those... What's going on. And then I think, too, like, okay, so let's say if you're in having symptoms and you just don't want to aggravate it and you don't want to take the chance, that's mm -hmm. fine. And take a break from certain foods that you think might have an issue with you. But... I wouldn't want somebody to eliminate those foods from their diet forever and ever because right. of it. Uh, you know, so when you're done with your therapy and you're done with that, you know, um, eight weeks or whatever you and your doctor decide, then, you know, let's take a look then at a balanced approach and then 
let's add some of those foods back in and make sure you're not experiencing any issues with them. Right. You know, same thing with caffeine. We've talked a little bit about that already. Again, you're not going to burn a hole in your stomach by drinking too much coffee. Right. Yeah. It doesn't happen that way. Right. But again, if you are sensitive to coffee or if you find that especially coffee on an empty stomach tends to turn things up a little bit. Right. Eat some food and yes. drink your coffee. Exactly. Coffee is not breakfast. <laughs> coffee and, is not breakfast. You know, have some have some food with that coffee if you find that. And that's the other thing to you know to figure out if you can have handle some of these, you know, orange juice. You know, mm-hmm. maybe not an empty stomach, but if you can have it with your breakfast, and it seems to be okay that way. Sometimes just putting a little food there as a base, right? Uh, sometimes can yeah. be less irritating. Yeah, I, I think this is just something you know. Medication is maybe the number one strategy for reflux, but lifestyle goes well along with medication, just like anything else. Absolutely. Just like diabetes, just like high cholesterol, just like high blood pressure. There's a role for medication and there's a role for diet and lifestyle. Yep. Now, I I did want to talk a little bit about like spicy foods, though, and back up and think about like what do spicy foods provide for us nutritionally? Other than burning yes. an extra 10 calories in five hours. <laughs> right. There are some nutritional benefits. There are some benefits. Uh, so like if you think about like chili peppers, they are a great source of a lot of nutrients like vitamin E, vitamin A, vitamin B6, vitamin K, iron and fiber. There's fiber there too. And then you've got your spices too, like chili, uh, chili powder, turmeric, cayenne, black pepper, all of those spices actually are anti-inflammatory. They can have anti-inflammatory properties anyway in the in the body. So if you like that spicy food and it doesn't bother your stomach, there is definitely no reason to stay away from it. There's actually right. a lot of nutrients in there. Uh, and I think that the thing about it is, again, if you're worried about too much spicy food upsetting your stomach or causing problems, I think we kind of busted that myth tonight yeah. yep. that... If you know if you're generally doing okay with those things, then go for it. Right. If you find that, but I, I still caution people. I think, I think there's something to be said for what you're having that spicy food with. Right. Those fried chicken wings right. may be causing more aggravation for your reflux mm-hmm. than the spice that's on the chicken wings. Right. So keep and that in mind. Yeah. Make make sure you order some of that celery with your. <laughs> chicken wings <laughs> right right eat some vegetables with it that yes there. Yes. yes which can be hard to do in a wing place sometimes right so well we appreciate you staying with us tonight talking about reflux disease if you have questions talk to your doctor <laughs> uh, but if you have questions for us about nutrition with reflux disease you can email at dish at secretliferd.com You can find us on Instagram at The Secret Life Dietitians, and we will see you next time wherever you get your podcasts.